Raise your right hand and repeat after me. I say your name. You solemnly swear. To support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, and to bear true faith and allegiance to the same. Then I will obey the orders of the President of the United States and the orders of those officers appointed over me according to regulations and uniform code of military justice. So help me God. Thank you listeners for tuning in to another great episode of the American Vet Podcast. And before I get in the episode here, I just want to put out there, um, just to make sure everybody's aware, if you follow American Vet Podcast on Facebook or Instagram, um, you may or may not know, I open, I have an open Zoom that anybody is more than welcome to join. Right now it's every Fridays, um, sometimes I throw in a Monday or Tuesday trying to, you know, feel the, see how people react to that, see how many people join. Um, it's kind of like a virtual bar. Um, any veteran can come on or a spouse, family member or veteran can come on. We can talk, you know, we talk about anything and everything that everybody wants to talk about. Um, my three rules there are just, you know, no politics, no religion and no hate and we'll be all set. And it starts at 7.30 Eastern time PM every Friday and it goes until um, everybody jumps off. Um, so yeah, I welcome everybody on there. It's an open Zoom. Follow me on Facebook or Instagram at American Vet Podcast and get the link. And if you are not on Facebook or Instagram, uh, just hit me up at Dave at AmericanVetPodcast.com and I will give you the link every Friday. So for this episode, I have Scott. Scott was an Army veteran who served from 1988 to 1992 as a 68 Romeo, also known as an avionics specialist. Special Equipment Repair. He has been on three different commands with two deployments, one to Just Cause and the other to Desert Storm, also known as Desert Shield. Scott, how are you doing today? Doing great, Dave. Thanks for having me on. Hey, man. The thanks goes out to you. Um, So, yeah, we're definitely going to get into the Just Cause and everything else because, you know, I, I brain dump a lot of my Marine Corps time and when I went in the Marine Corps in 05, I remember just cause was one of the things that we talked about in boot camp, but just not, you know, obviously you remember that as a operation name when they said just cause, but, you know, we'll definitely jump into that a little bit later. I kind of brain dumped a lot of what that operation really was. Right, right. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so, so Scott, um, you know, why the army? Why'd you join? You know, who were you before the military? Uh, before the military, I, I grew up in a, a small farming town in Central California. You know, I mean, you know how you, when you get in there and when you get in the military and everybody asks you, oh, where are you from? You say California. Everybody starts calling you Hollywood, thinking you're <laughs> automatically from L.A., you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I always had to explain like, nah, nah. <laughs> I'm from from the Central Valley, San Joaquin, you know. And uh, no, it was it was uh, it was a good childhood. I grew up out in the country, not too many houses, not too many neighbors, uh, had to use my imagination a lot, <laughs> played a lot with my army man out in the dirt as a kid, you know, Perfect. blowing things up with my dad's fireworks. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit of pre-training there. 
Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, and yeah, I'm, when when I got into school, I was fascinated kind of with the World War II era yep. and before internet. Yeah, oh yeah. I, <laughs> I, I was I was I was nose deep in the encyclopedias all the time, reading up on uh, actually all the all the branches: uh, Air Force, Army, uh, Navy, Marines, and. You know, I I do have a guilty admission here. I was wanting to become a Marine, but the, yep. the recruiting office kind of screwed me over a little bit. Oh, hold when on. I finally, when it was finally time to go uh, to sign up, I, I went to the, uh, uh, what do they call it? The MEPS office there. Okay. All right. You hear me? Yep. Now, now I got you. So, uh, just go back to like uh, when you were, we were talking about being a Marine, but then uh, the recruiters kind of screwed you out there. It's kind of when I lost you. Yeah, yeah, I was okay. So I have a guilty admission. I wanted to actually be a Marine. Um, that was that was my goal coming out of high school. Uh, but when it came time to go sign up, yeah, uh, it was about a year before they had like a delayed entry program. Yeah. And I already knew I wasn't going to go to university or, or, or college. So I was I was ready to go sign up and, and get time underneath my belt. And, yeah, go to the Marine recruiter and there <laughs> sign here and we'll let you know. And I'm like, <laughs> uh, no, nah, I might be 17, but uh, <laughs> I don't want to be scrubbing toilets or, you know, doing some shit job for, for four years or however long I was going to sign up for. So, okay. yeah, I just went next door to the Army and they gave me a catalog of everything that I that I uh, could could take after my ASVAB test. And the one that stood out was avionics, working on the helicopters and stuff like that. So uh, he's got his own private uh, pilot license. And I knew he'd be kind of thrilled to hear that. And, yeah, he, he kind of gave me the nudge to, to go that way. Okay. So I, I signed up for the Army for four years. As a, At that time, it was 35 Romeo. Then they changed it to 68 Romeo, all the avionics to... 68 and okay. what we did is we worked on the uh the most of the top secret equipment on the helicopters on the apaches uh oh 58 deltas all, all the all the good stuff right okay so all the uh <laughs> all the stuff that nobody's supposed to know that we the the the, the choppers have the ability to do so then huh <laughs> right right and and all the coding that goes in there that changes every day too that we have to go manually change every day okay so yeah that was that was a that was a cool uh that was that was me growing up in california um and then it was time to to take that long haul over to fort jackson south carolina for for boot camp yeah and and i i think i don't know government put me on maybe five or six damn flights to get over there from California (laughs) (laughs) and met, met, met a bunch of guys along the way. Uh, actually, you know, I remember stopping in Chicago and then there was like three guys that were headed to Fort Jackson as well. So it was kind of neat bonding with them and, and kind of getting to know their stories. Uh, along the way before we even got there and it ended up we were in the same platoon together by the time we got in processed and everything so it was pretty cool wow 
Wow, yeah, that's, uh, okay, yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty awesome that you, 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 you chose that, and I don't know, I, knowing what these, these choppers and stuff can do would be, I don't even know what they can do, you know what I mean? (laughs) 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 Okay, so, where was your, uh, where was your first, uh, duty station after you get out of boot camp and whatnot, and. Yeah, went went to Fort Jackson, like I said, South Carolina, and then after that, did the uh, did our our schooling, advanced individual training, I think they call it AIT, down in Fort Gordon, Georgia, uh, Signal Corps, down there for about maybe it was about seven, eight months. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I joined the military to an electrical engineering <laughs> degree, basically, within eight months. <laughs> so uh, that, that was quite an experience. And then I, I got lucky. Uh, I consider myself lucky because I got, I got sent right back to California to, to Fort Ord, which no longer exists, right. out there in the Monterey Peninsula. Okay. And that was, a, that was an awesome experience, too, because, um, you know, Going through AIT and then you, you start asking people who have been in for a while, hey, what, what to expect, you know, when you get to your first duty station. Like, oh, it's just like a regular job, you know, you right. get, get up in the morning, do your PT, and then you go do your nine to five. And that's that's it. Well, little did I know Fort Ord was a, a rapid deployment uh, <laughs> base where they prided us in being anywhere in the world in within 24 hours. They took that serious. Yeah, it was, I'm, uh, light light infantry. Okay, yeah, that would be uh and and it was it was it was interesting because Oh, I'm sorry, Scott. I think like I, you think okay, it's just a bunch of paperwork and then I'm going to report to my unit. Okay. Let me know yeah, when you Yeah, we're just getting a little bit of a lag there. Me. You know, we didn't get any lag before uh, before I started this, you know. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's kind of how it goes. It's, Murphy's law, yeah. Just, just let me know when we when we pause and need to start over or something. No problem. All right, perfect. I appreciate that. Um, so far, I think we're pretty much good on this all the way up to now. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I got up to where you're talking about how you guys can be anywhere within 24 hours, and that's a great uh, accomplishment and uh, definitely pr- great pride for the base that you were on at that time. Yeah, definitely. And and my thought of in-processing uh, was just going to be, you know, get the paperwork, get your orders, find out where you what, what unit you're going to belong to. Sure. But when you report to Fort Ord, you go through two weeks in the field and they they teach you infantry because you're going to be supporting infantry. You're going to be supporting Rangers, uh, yep. special ops out there and everything. So they put us through a little bit of a, another basic training, let's say a little bit of air assault, a little bit of, uh, Ranger training, obstacle runs and everything. Um, yeah, it was, it was really cool. It was, uh, it, it even gave you a little bit more pride knowing yep. that, Hey, all right, if, if something does happen, you know, we can pick up the slack. Yeah, and that's that's what that was for. Yeah, that's yeah, that's kind of saying. So, uh, got our infantry training. Go ahead. Oh yeah, yeah. I was gonna say that that's that's actually kind of cool. Like knowing that you're you're definitely part of that uh, speed dial one crew. You know what I mean? The whole 
Like, you know, your your job is cool and all, but they call me before they call you kind of thing. <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, during during that time at Fort Order, we, we'd have drills, you know. We wouldn't even know what was happening. They would just come bang on the door early in the morning, maybe one in the morning. Grab your gear, let's go. We report to the airfield, get loaded up on the on the C-130 or, or C-5, whatever we had out there. And then we don't know where we're going. They don't tell you anything. And then uh, Colonel walks on and with his stopwatch and says, good time. All right, everybody go back to bed. <laughs> <laughs> so definitely getting your hopes up and everything's like, yeah, all right, adrenaline's going. I'm going somewhere. I'm going to kick a little ass. And then. All right, that was good. Uh, go to bed. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how you would fall asleep. out. I mean, my, my adrenaline, my hype would be up so much, I would be like, I'd just lay in bed and be like, yep, I'm going to just stare at the ceiling here for a while. <laughs> uh, yeah, of course, because you're, you're thinking, all right, where the hell are we going? You know, the whole yep. time. What, what's the mission? What are we going to do? Yep. And, yeah, then then that, I wouldn't say let down, but, you know, let's turn the page and new day, let's go back to work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but see me being kind of uh kind of a smart ass that I am, I would uh I would probably go out and just spend my own cash on everything that I need to pack for those drills mm-hmm. and just mm-hmm. have a whole second thing and just have it all ready so when he says go, I can just grab it, walk out there and then he says, "All right, go to bed." I can go right back to bed, not miss a beat. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We had, we had that to a point. <laughs> <laughs> so I got to ask you now, I mean, you got out in 1992 in the army, but yeah, then, then go ahead, tell me. Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah. Just, do you, so obviously you, you still talked up, you know, new age army guys, we'll call them, you know, the people that are just getting out, people that are in and you're, you know, in your own words, how has the army changed from 92 to 2021? Ah, oh, God damn, that's technology. I yeah. remember, I mean, it, like I was just telling you, you know, my nephew just got out of the Marines not too long ago. Yeah. And, and it just cracks me up to know how, you know, they, they have their, their mobile phones. <laughs> and and a fax machine was was super high tech for us when we were in you know it's like oh shit we can you know we can scan a letter and send it home really all right wow. you know but now I, I i don't know i think it's i don't know how it would be uh discipline wise I, I i gotta imagine it's it's super difficult with discipline um if you're in these days with mobile phones, laptops, the whole, because, you know, when I was in, it was during the cold war, you right. know, we grew up during the cold war and everything was always, you know, your, your phones are probably tapped and this, <laughs> and you got this spy scene and everything. I remember being in Germany and the commercials on TV, the, the, what was it? Eighth, not atheist. I can't remember the name of the military. Uh, TV channel that they had, and they always had these commercials, you know, reminding you of of being discreet, you know. Um, oh, OPSEC. Yeah, what, what is that? Lo- yeah, OPSEC. Lo- yeah. Loose lips sink ships, right? You yeah. know, the, all those all those commercials. <laughs> so I, I just can't imagine how it is now uh, with the discipline, the self discipline. 
um, with mobile phones and just technology, period. Sure, sure, yeah. Yeah, and it's funny, too, because as, as you're talking about a fax machine, I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, I wonder if that was part of the classified equipment that we had back <laughs> you know, when you were in and now everybody has a fax machine. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, when I was in Okinawa, Japan, we had this thing that was called a, a Vonage. So it was an internet phone. Um, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, but they wouldn't send it. You know, Vonage wouldn't send you internationally. So I, I got a Vonage for Massachusetts, where I live, phone number, mm-hmm. and I had it sent to my grandmother. My grandmother sent it to me in Japan, and I was mm-hmm. talking to all my buddies with a with a area code from Massachusetts when I was in Japan. You know, it was right, right. You know, I saved a lot of money doing that because I was paying mm-hmm. a lot of money on international calling and stuff like that because I was going through like my first divorce and everything else and. So I was trying to line up things for when I get back to how to party and stuff, but. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Okay. So now, uh, you know, so after you're, after you're done in, uh, I forgot the name of the, the base you're saying out in California, where did you go from there or did you do your whole time there? Well, no, I, I was there for about six months and I was just getting extremely bored because uh, my MOS 68 Romeo, they, they just had so many of us and very little work, you know? Right. So, you know how it is. If you don't have any work, you're put on detail. Some, you know, go grab some grid squares or some bullshit like that. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Hey, I need you to move all those sandbags from there to uh-huh. over there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so no, I actually, there was another, uh, another job that they were hurting for, for some, for some people. And that was a uh, um, 68 Foxtrot, which was an aircraft electrician. Okay. And so, no, I volunteered to go work with, with them. Um, we were in the same unit and now I had a blast of, you know, working on, working on the aircraft, doing kind of the same thing. Instead of doing bench work, I was out on the flight line doing the troubleshooting out there. So then I got a, a full, uh, aspect on the whole troubleshooting from from the bird into the bench and then back, you know. So it was really cool, and they actually had rotations, three month rotations, going to Panama um, even before I got there. And I was like, "Oh, Panama! That, that sounds That's, cool," you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, I volunteered um, when when it was coming to uh, the holiday season, Christmas, New Year that and and most of those guys in that in that group had families and everything and i felt lucky to be at fort Ord because i could visit my family almost every weekend that i that i had an opportunity i could just drive home and see them and go back to the base sure, sure. so i i was seeing my family on a pretty persistent basis so i told i told the platoon leader I'm, uh, i said hey man if you if you want me you know if you train me up i'll go to panama during the during that period so you guys can stay here with your families during the holidays and shit little did i know <laughs> that we'd be starting just cause down there <laughs> at that time um but damn it but yeah he said he was like all for it <laughs> no actually it was it was a really it was everything happened perfectly and and for the reason so i i went down there he trained me up i i went down there and was having a blast. Panama was awesome. Um, it was really cool experience. I mean, the furthest south I had been was Mexico, uh, right. which was our 
every summer vacation from California. And um, no, just being down there in Panama and just experiencing that. And then uh, the Panamanian Defense Forces and Noriega started fucking up. And that's yep. when Bush, who was president at the time, senior, um, started sending everybody, 82nd, 101st, some Marine units. Sorry, I yep. can't name which ones they are. And I didn't yep. know. Um, yep. But man, we, we, we flooded Panama City within 24 hours. And obviously, we knew something was, was going to go go on, but we just right. didn't know. Actually, until that night, maybe a couple hours before, you know, handing out the camo and telling us what we're going to do and be out on the perimeter, you right. know, guarding the airfield and everything. So, um, yeah, to, so before going into where I went after that, I that was, that was a, a life-changing experience for me because that night when we – when we went in, you know, we had everybody going in trying to capture Noriega and everything. And, and, you know, seeing tracers fly above your head and hearing those, is all of a sudden you just start looking up at the stars in a different manner. Like, oh, yeah. uh, hey, man, this might be their arm and legs. And like, okay, let's, all right, let's do this. This <laughs> might be the last time, but if I get out of this, if I get out of this, I'm going to go see the world and experience everything that I can, do all that I can. And because at that moment, I just realized how precious and short life can be, you know? Right, right. Yeah, so so all that adrenaline for about a week, and then after everything died down, I, mean, I think I think I was there for about another month and then came back home. And shortly after that, they sent me to Germany, uh, Stuttgart, uh, 7th Corps, for military intelligence uh, unit over there. And yeah, I figured, hey, all right, the the universe listened to me that night in Panama, said, you know, I want to travel and see everything that I can. And I'm like, okay, Europe, cool. I'm going to be here. I'm going to try to see everything. But that lasted maybe about two, two or three months. And then... Iraq, well, Kuwait happened. Uh, Iraq, Iraq invaded Kuwait, and then Desert Shield started, where they started bringing everybody from around the world in. And I thought, you know, hey, we're we're here in Germany. We're cool. We're not going because uh, you know we were in Western Germany at the time too. You know, so right. um, but no, they they gave us orders to to join over there in Saudi Arabia. So, uh, yeah, about three or four months in, in Germany, got to see a few places, um, before leaving. And then, and then, uh, went down to Saudi for, man, I don't know, maybe about seven or eight months. We were down there. It was, it was a while. Um, and we bounced towards the border in a place called Al Kisuma, which was our forwarding forward operating base. Uh, because, military intelligence they'd fly over the border um and kind of relay the information back to to uh to the intelligence uh units um but yeah it was it was cool it was cool experience it wasn't as much action as panama but when when everything started when desert storm jumped off the first night yeah we could we could hear everything because we were pretty close to the border right um and and also Saddam was doing his uh, every night scud launches at yep. our base. 
<laughs> it just turned into a routine. We started, we just ended up sleeping in our mop gear and our chemical gear instead yeah. of worrying about waking up and putting it on every night. We just slept with it on and mask and yeah, it just got to be routine where you just hear the couple Patriots, you know, knock down the scud. You hear the, the two, two bursts and then it's like, okay, roll over, grab the mask, clear and seal, go back to sleep. Yep. <laughs> and that was, that was pretty much it. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny how that how that works out. You know, you you, you go to a place and in, in, you know, you're at war and you're fighting for land and or you know anything that you're over there for, and you know you talk about like nightly they were sending out you know missiles over at to you and stuff. But then you got people right now that are fighting in Iraq or whatever, and they go to this place. It's called uh, you know obviously I was never there, but it's called uh, Mortar City. Where it did mm-hmm. every night they send in mortars, and then you just get complacent. You're like, "Yup, they're sending in mortars again." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I've seen the picture on online. I think one, one of our guys with his boxers on out there and just <laughs> leaning over some sandbags, <laughs> <laughs> just watching the show. Hey, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. So, so now when you when you get done with all that, you know, time in. Uh, and Desert Storm and, and Shield and whatnot. Where do you go from there? Yeah, they sent us back to Germany. Um, and at that time, that's the time where they started closing a lot of the bases and, and reducing the size of, of our force. Yeah. Um, so, so it was there for maybe another, I don't know, six months or so. So I, I you know, on my little... E3 salary, I think I was at the time, you know, uh, traveled, took some, took some tours around Europe and, and saw what I could. Uh, and then I got orders to go to Fort Riley, Kansas. Oh boy. Um, the, the big red one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, that, that was, uh, kind of the turning point on, um, if I was going to stay in or not, you know, so right. I, I got there and I, I got to admit, it was the most boring duty station that I was in. I mean, we, they weren't, they were mechanized. They weren't too much on, on, uh, on air support and it was cold as hell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was boring. There was really no mission. And, and it was just, yeah, it was just bored, you know, it was, it was that and get your newspaper and sit in the shop and wait for something to break, you know? Right. And that was, that was, uh, that was not me. And <laughs> I, <laughs> I had, I had an opportunity. I almost got to transfer to Fort Campbell, Kentucky to go special ops. I had a, a buddy of mine that I was in AIT with in, in schooling. And he was wanting to come to Fort Riley for whatever reason, I don't know. But then he finally said no he was going to stay there so we were going to do a swap but that didn't work out and then and then shortly after it was time for me to either re-up or or get out right um so yeah during during that time i i forget what they call it the you know when they give you the opportunity to to re-up and tell you what they're going to offer you and everything um, I, I was ready, I was ready to re-up, but I didn't want to stay there in Fort Riley. I was like, Hey, yeah, man, if you guys send me back overseas, which is what I really loved, especially right. because overseas, I know you said you were in Okinawa. It was like, it felt more camaraderie, you know, yep. to me, uh, it felt like a tighter unit and more family. 
Um, but stateside, it was, it was, it was different, you know? So I told him, yeah, send me, send me back to Germany or someplace like that. And they're, Oh no, we're going to keep you right here at Fort Riley. I was like, Oh no, you're not. Oh, you're not. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's time for me to try being a civilian. (laughs) So that's, that's when I decided to get out right then. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny that you bring it up. Like the difference between, um, being in a unit in the States and being in a unit overseas and, you know, you're not really doing anything in Japan, but you're not really doing anything in, in Kentucky either. But the camaraderie is more in Japan. You feel like you're doing something as opposed to yeah. being in the yeah. U.S. just going, all right, I'm just bored as hell. At least when you're in mm-hmm. Japan, you're like, I'm doing what I signed up to do, but not to the full extent. But it's still enough more than that. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it is It is definitely a different feeling. And it's... um. I agree with you. It's just, it's amazing how you just, you can just take yourself from one spot to another and uh, change your complete aspect on the military itself. Totally. Um, Cause I mean, it sounds like you went to two different spots. That was really good. You know, like Germany and, and Panama. Um, obviously probably would have been better if you weren't at war during that time, but, uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> and then you had two duty stations where you're just kind of bored out of your, out of your mind. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That was yep. it. That was it. Yeah. So I, I got out and moved back to California Okay. and I, I didn't, I didn't want to go back to where I grew up uh, in that small farming town. I, I, I just felt like I still, I still wanted to see more and that night. So I, I moved to uh, the Bay area up there in San Francisco and, Bounced around San Francisco, San Jose, Silicon Valley. Yep. And I, I, you know, I didn't even know anything about, you know, unemployment or anything. I just went and took a job as a shipping receiving clerk at a mall just because I had work ethic, you know. Right. And I, I look back now, I was like, shit, I could have applied for unemployment, got even more than what I was making <laughs> uh, there. And, and then maybe use some of my money to go to this to to go to university or something but no i i did i i worked there college uh at night with my gi bill that i had and no i was i was only sleeping for about four hours uh i had to sell my car couldn't afford it after i got a couple speeding tickets heavy foot (laughs) (laughs) we've all been there (laughs) <laughs> right. So, so got the mountain bike and I was, I was biking everywhere around, you know, San Francisco and, uh, it was, it was good. I, I enjoyed it. I had the energy back then to do that, you know? Yep. Um, and, and then after a while I, I stopped going to that school because I got an offer to work at a company work. Oh, I think I lost you there. Uh, radios for police cars, fire department. You hear me? Oh, there we go. I got you to where I had you all the way up until you said you had a job offer. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I had a job offer, uh, for a company that, that worked on radios and communications for police departments, fire departments, public safety, et cetera. So I had to make the choice. Okay. Am I going to stay in this school or am I going to you know, try to start working full time and, and do this. And no, I just had to go with my heart. And plus looking at that school, it was more like a business. 
and I wasn't, they weren't giving me everything that I was expecting. So I, I dropped out of there and jumped into that job and then just kind of worked my way around different startup companies in Silicon Valley yep. until I got a, um, an offer to go to Dallas, Texas to work, uh, for a paging company. Paging was big. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> Pagers. Yeah. I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so I, I, I took the chance and, and went over there to Dallas and, and worked at a couple jobs there and then took another job to New York uh, with the same company uh, working on actual switching equipment for long distance and, and, frame relay for oil rigs and that was that was fun so i moved back to dallas and took took another job there working in the same same kind of area and that was it but during the time i was in california i was also in the guard i i joined the national guard um instead of getting out completely because i didn't know if i might want to get back in right and they offered me a job at the unit where where I grew up, and okay. I was the eleven oh six Avcrad in in Fresno, and, and jobs in in that area, and but I turned it, I turned it down. Um, I I didn't want to. I was I was that job was basically going to the same place working on the same piece of equipment every day. And I, I figured I, I, no, (laughs) there's more, there's, there's more out there. I can't settle. I can't settle for that. You know, not, not against anybody who, who does that work and, you know, all, all power to them, but it just wasn't me. And I I had a little thing with my parents at that time too. They were, they didn't understand. Um, I think they understand these days after all the traveling I've done uh, with, with my latest job that I had. So um, yeah, it was, it was a, it was a tough choice, but I, I really had to go with my gut and my, my heart, you know, and it was tough and getting out and learning all of those, those things, because there's no, there's nobody walking you through, um, you know, like when you get in the military, shit, everything's given to you, your orders, instructions, uh, what to wear, when to wear. Yep. <laughs> um, and when you get out, you got to figure it all out on your own. Um, and yeah, it was, it was, a it was a unique and good experience. I really look back on that time as, as a real time of growth. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. You can definitely, yeah, you, you hit it there. It's, it's, you know, in the mil- all the way, you know, you join in the military and they all the way down to telling you how to fold your clothes. And then, you know, so you got, and like I said on a couple of previous episodes, you know, you go, right? yeah, you get into the military and you got three months of boot camp and then you got a couple months of, you know, combat training after that. Then you got a few months of training and just how to do your job. And then you go four years and they're just telling you how to do everything. And then when you get out, they're like, all right, see you later. You mm-hmm. know, we're done with you. <laughs> you know, good luck to you, pal. You know, do you, are we shipping your stuff home or are you, you staying here kind of thing? And it's right. And it's absolutely horrible. And and that's one of the biggest downfalls right now in 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 the military I see is just you know it does and I'm having a huge argument right now with the the person that runs my state for VSOs the veteran service officers um I'm having a huge fight with them right now because I've been out since like I said 09 and I've never met my VSO out here mm-hmm. you know what I mean and it's and it's yeah. it's horrible I mean it doesn't take much for 
a VSO to just go to a guy's house, a veteran that just came home, um, you know, and just go to the house, you know, a month later and yeah. say, hey, man, you know, what's your plan? You know, do you have jobs? You know, we have all these job fairs that's going on. You know, do you know about the post 9-11 bill? You can get hooked up for this, that, and the other thing. Are you disabled? And it, and it doesn't take that much. And the state mm-hmm. rep for the uh, the VSOs told me that she's like, well, we sent out flyers. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. like, what the fuck is a flyer going to do? Right, right. <laughs> you know exactly. what I mean? It's, there's, there's no personal uh, connection there, you no. know? And, 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 and especially, I mean, with all the tools and technology that we have now, it should be even easier for them to do that, you know? Right. So it's, it's like you would look in the newspaper, classifieds you know right. you, you didn't have job sites um but now it's it's really disappointing um yep. and and to, to 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 go on your topic there what you were saying uh just oh, I mean, almost two years ago right before the pandemic i actually uh was diagnosed with ptsd right and i i was in a rough spot i was i was really deep and i couldn't talk to anybody it was really hard for me to talk to anybody right. and i did muster enough strength to finally talk to my parents at one time and and my dad was like hey you know you can come back home cuz i'm i'm living in colombia now here in south south america yeah. and he was like you know you can come back home and talk to the va you know they got counselors and everything and i was like you know i'm so turned off by by the VA and yeah. everything, how, how they've been treating, you know, fellow veterans. Yeah. And I was like, no, I'm, I, I got to do something different, you know? Absolutely. So I, I had to go a different direction, but luckily I was able to come out of that. Yeah. But yeah. I, I hear what you're saying. Disappointing, seriously disappointing. Right. And and that's just it. And it's just, you know, and I, and I was telling her that I was like, you know, let's say, you know, 50,000 veterans are getting out this month. How many of them are actually going to live in your city? You know what I mean? So you might mm-hmm. have to visit one or two vets a month. That's about it. You know what I mean? So you can't tell me, and I know they're, and I'm not saying that the VSOs do absolutely nothing in their time. I mean, I know they do, they do fight for people to get help and stuff like that, but they fight to get people help that already went to the VA and said something wrong or something like that, got labeled, and now they're going after them. As opposed to just getting it before that person gets to that level of, you know, I call it, you know, personal disrespect. When you don't like yourself anymore and you don't like what you're doing and stuff like that, let's get to these guys' help before they get to that personal disrespect. And and it's, it's not there, and we've been doing the same thing. For our, you know, since 1775, we've been doing the same thing. It's not working. Yeah. It is not working. 100%. Yeah. 100%. I, I think it's you're in for, for how, and you have, oh, I think I'm losing you up a little bit. You believe, and you're trying to feel your way around thing, but you, you might not feel like, that's that's making a difference or or it, it is a mission to you and that how can i say that bridge to get to the point of where you finally figure out kind of what you do want to do yeah. with your life that's that's where exactly what you said vso definitely needs to step in yeah. and help guide these veterans coming out and especially now it's even more difficult with covid 
uh, pandemic, you know, it's not like you can just run over here and run over there. You know, a lot of people are still on lockdown, um, depending on your state or, or country you're in. And it's, it makes things even more difficult. So having that, that communication, that relationship, uh, where, you feel you have support right. or you feel you, you have a place where you can ask questions and, and, and have that support is, is it just truly uh, the most important thing right now to our veterans. Absolutely. And it, and it won't take much, you know, even with the pandemic right now. So like, you know, I got out in North Carolina, so, you know, everybody has to go to admin when they get out, right. They, you have to go down that checklist of everything. And, you know, when you're down there with admin, you know, you can tell admin, like, listen, dude, I'm going back up to Massachusetts. And even with the pandemic right now, the VSO, can, or not the VSO, or your admin guy can say, well, the cell phone that you're taking, is that a good number? When you get up there, are you changing cell phone numbers or whatever? And if you don't have a number to provide them, he should be able to provide you with the VSO's phone number. You're, you know, it's not hard for him to do a couple of clicks on the mouse and find VSO, boom. You know, give right. you that information before you're going out. So at least you have a peace of mind saying, all right, when I get home, I'm going to call this guy to see what's going on in my city. As opposed mm-hmm. to saying, all right, see you later you know, kind of thing. And it's, it's, you know, even with the pandemic that would work and, mm-hmm. and it it doesn't take much for a VSO to just call some, you know, get on the phone with somebody, but, um, yeah. yeah and then 100%. the VA, yeah. And the VA is worse. I mean, the VA is, you know, here, here, take a number, you know what I mean? And it's, yeah. Yeah. And I know there's, yeah. you, you see things on the news all the time, like all oh, this VA, VA out here, you know, this guy and dies in the parking lot, just that other thing. And it's like, you know, that gets its media coverage for about three days, three, four days, and then it's dropped off. Everybody forgets about it. Like, well, that shit still happens. You know, you right. have a lot of VA systems that are bad. Um, you know, we got a veteran soldier's home out where I live, and during the pandemic, there was like 72 veterans that, that passed away from COVID just because mm-hmm. of the way the building is and the way it was all ran and everything else. And it's like now they're finally looking at it. But it took 72 veterans to die from one thing. For the state to jump in and start looking at it, it doesn't need to be that way. It shouldn't. I, I know. I know. I'm going on a rant here, but <laughs> no, no. Hey, I'm with you. It's totally unacceptable, and it really burned. I see. I mean, now I'm. Oh, I'm losing you here from personal experience. Let me know if you hear me now. Nope. Now I got you. Yep. <laughs> no. Okay. Yeah. Just. Just. Speaking on my little personal rant, what really burns me up is seeing all the money that they spend on these parades and <laughs> and marketing and all that bullshit where they could really funnel that into fixing the problem. And yeah. it's not just saying, okay, you have the VA, you have the VSO. Obviously, there's something deeper there. It's not working. Yeah. Right. So so how do you fix that? You know, do you need to train these guys in yeah. how to do that? How to you know, reach out, how to do some project management where you can control your time and, and schedule these, everybody that you need to talk to in a week, et cetera. And yeah. that's, that's what really burns me up is, is the waste of money that goes towards our military. Yeah, the waste of money for the military? Is that what you said? Yeah, the, the waste of money for, for a show. Not for yeah. true support, really. Right, yeah. Exactly. And it's, you know, then then it gets to a point where there's so, you know, and it's not just on the VSOs and the VA guys, too. I mean, come on, guys. The veterans that are out there, I mean, 
everybody knows there's a, there's a stigma on it. Like you're weak or, or you're puss or, or whatever, because you're like, Hey, I need help. I can't, you know, I've done, you know, guys are getting out. They did, you know, five, six plus tours to Iraq and Afghanistan. And they're coming home and they have no job and they're on food stamps and they're like, they're trying to make their bills and they don't want to go and have help because we got this self pride of this self. I'll figure it out. I figured it out there. I can figure it out here and I'm not getting shot out here, but in the long run, they, yeah. you know, just, you know, you need to this. I mean, I don't know. I don't want to say suck it up buttercup, but you know, everybody knows you're, when you have a command or somebody that's higher than you in rank that comes to a junior ranking person and says, Hey man, I need help with this. I don't know what I'm doing or whatever the day job is. It's like, you know, you can take yourself, you know, you, you came from a farmer, uh, farming land or something like that. So if you're out grading some grant ground or something like that, and you've got a higher ranking person, you can come up to you and say, Hey, you know, how, how should we do this? And you tell them right there, you have a ton of respect for that higher ranking guy because he came to you as a human, as a person and asked for help. It's the same way when you guys get out, you know, veterans, we say that all the way through our, our time. Like, yeah, this guy never, he, he's a know-it-all. He never needs help. He never needs anybody's help. He's got this. If you never look at get help for yourself, you're just doing the same thing to yourself. You're becoming a hypocrite of saying, you know, you're bad, you're bad command. You're, you are 